Hey guys, my name is Jake Hoffman and you're listening to episode 27 of Way Outside. Hope you all are having a great day. It's obviously been a while since I last uploaded once again, and I sincerely apologize for that. A lot of stuff has been going on for me in the past four months, including becoming one of the managers for the Butler women's basketball team. While it really has been both a fun and educational experience, it at times can be a pretty big time commitment, leaving not a lot of time to record. I've also struggled at times to maintain good grades, and unfortunately that priority has to come back before my podcast. Nevertheless, I am so excited to be back and will be putting out a lot of great content in the near future. So for today, since we are just past the All-Star break and getting ready to head into the stretch run of the regular season, I'm going to talk about some of my biggest pleasant surprises, disappointments, and takeaways from players, teams, coaches, and more. Some of these will definitely be pretty commonplace takes, but others may surprise you. I will also give you my predictions for the winners of all the major awards by the end of the regular season. So let's dive right in, starting with some pleasant surprises. Number one is the Bulls' success, and especially DeMar DeRozan's legitimate MVP case and revival season. Anyone who knows me well knows that I am a huge Bulls fan and they're my number one team. And after all the moves that they made this past offseason, signing Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso, Derek Jones Jr., and DeMar, while also having Zach Levine and Nikola Vucevic, I did, pretty fe- I did feel pretty optimistic heading into this year. But not even my wildest dreams could I have foreseen this. Them being tied for first place in the East almost 60 games in, especially when you consider... All that this team has been through. Don't get me wrong. Every team has been really struck by season by COVID issues or injuries at one point or another. But those things have really hit the Bulls hard. Examples of this include Alex Caruso has played in only 35 games. Kobe White has only played in 39 games. Alonzo Ball has only played in 35 games. Excuse me, Alex Caruso has only played in 28 games. Um... Javante Green has only played in 42. Patrick Williams obviously got has been hurt since the fifth game with that fractured wrist, although there is a chance he might come back, which I'm really looking forward to. There's just been so many players miss out. Zach Levine's played in 47, which is good, but he's also he still missed 22 games. And it's just been a lot of challenges this team to cover. And the one constant has been DeMar DeRozan. He, on this season, his numbers are incredible. 28 points per game, 5 rebounds, 5 assists, shooting 52% from the field and 87% from the free throw line. And while this doesn't take a lot of threes, he's still shooting a respectful 34% on those. Those are very incredible numbers, especially when you consider that as good of a score DeMar DeRozan is, this is only the second time in his career that he's averaged at least 27 points per game. And that last season where he did that was his last year in Toronto, was last year in Toronto in 2018. So this is, in my opinion, Demar's best season after a bunch of after an offseason where he was labeled by some critics as the worst free agency signing of the offseason. That is a take I always knew was going to be terrible, but I never knew Demar was going to do this. I mean, he was a very good role. He was a very good player in San Antonio the last few years because I would watch him and see he was scoring went down, but his all around game got better with under the tutelage of one of the greatest coaches of all time, Greg Popovich. He became a much better playmaker. He became a little bit smarter with the shots. He still takes a bunch of mid-range, but he takes more of the 10 to 15 feet ones instead of the 15 to 22. And I think that something that is a conversation to hold with basketball, we needed to distinguish all mid-ranges from being bad shots. But that's a discussion that I can have on a tangent for another time. But yeah, again, DeMar, in addition to all those base numbers, he leads the NBA in total fourth quarter points while shooting 55%. And 42% from three in the final frame. He just turns into a different animal. And almost every shot he takes in the fourth quarter, I think, is going in. It is insane. He he makes so many difficult shots in the mid-range. And as someone who is young and grows up in the new range of basketball, I just have an appreciation for the mid-range because it's different. Not many players are trying to master it. 
We see so many people launching up threes. They're just trying to only get layups. Like, DeMar has, has a craft that he perfects. And I think that we need, people need to start respecting it. And I think he's been forcing people who are anti-mid-range or pro-analytics to reconsider their decision because he's just been playing so well. He shoot, he's having the be- most efficient season of his career and the best scoring season of his career. And this is his 13th year. So having your best year in your 13th year is something that is almost unprecedented, unprecedented throughout the course of NBA history. It's just, he has just been awesome. Adding on to the Bulls, the other things I people I want to point out is obviously while Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso have missed a lot of time when they've played, the Bulls have played at a top 10 defensive pace, which just shows their impact because on the season they're 20th in defensive rating, but through December the Bulls were a top 10 defense when Caruso and Lonzo were both able to play a lot. They just caused so much damage on the perimeter, especially Lonzo and Car- They also play can guard people way much bigger than them. I remember in the game Caruso got hurt versus the Bucks. He blocked Giannis at one point and forced a jump ball. There's just two pests. They're two pests with elite defensive IQ, hands, reaction ability, and they also play very well off of each other. Um, someone who I, fan of mine, a YouTuber, a fan of mine that I really like checking out is I'm um, Thinking Basketball. And he, I would check any basketball fan and check it out. And he did a really good analysis on why they're so good defensively and how, you know, they have made the rest of this, the roster, which, especially the starting lineup, which isn't really that good defensively. You know, they've been able to eliminate those weaknesses from DeMar, Zach Levine, who, although they haven't, they've played pretty decent defensively. But yeah, I really wanted to shout out those. Kobe White is someone that, I'm going to be honest with you, I was not a fan of the past two years. He was just too inconsistent for me. He, you know, he would just jack up a bunch of shots. If he made them, it was good. If he didn't, thing, and but he wouldn't do anything else. He wasn't passing the ball. He definitely couldn't guard anyone, and he wasn't really doing anything else if he wasn't scoring. But this year, he's really taken it up a notch, and he's really played well, especially as of late. On the season, he's shooting 45% from the field, 40% from three, and averaging a 14 points per game, and like I said earlier, he started a little bit late in the season. I think he it was a shoulder surgery he was recovering from, but yeah. So I th- so he's been playing great, especially as of late. Without when um, Zach Levine had to take a few games to get his knee, he's just been shooting incredibly. I believe in the last six games, he's shooting almost 50 percent from three. He's just been playing amazing. He had a great fourth quarter in, I believe that was against the Timberwolves. Yeah, it was against the Timberwolves where he had like. 15 points in the fourth quarter and was hitting everything. He just, he's been playing with a new kind of confidence. And also, he's been doing a much better job driving to the rim and mixing up his game because he is a pretty decent rim finisher when he chooses to get there. He's had a couple of incredible dunks this year that I didn't expect from him, including that one. It wasn't over LeBron, but while LeBron was guarding him, and I, I'm going to be honest, I couldn't have never would have expected that. And last but not least, if we're, I mean, okay, first, I, excuse me. First, we have to talk about Zach Levine. Obviously, his numbers are going to be a little bit down from last year considering he's playing, He's the second option, but I think the thing that's been most impressed for me is his willingness to play as the second option. Zach Levine has been labeled as an empty stats ball hog or someone who doesn't contribute to winning, like almost like how Devin Booker was he before Chris Paul game. And I think that we know as a league we need to start saying people are can't contribute to winning until they're put in a position where they have a chance to win. And it's a difficult thing to do, and I get it because, you know, Zach Levine is in his – now his seventh or his eighth season, excuse me, and still is not in the play no playoff game, but he will be. And Zach Levine is such a talented player offensively. You know, forty eight percent of the field, forty percent from three. He's a three level scorer at an elite level, and especially when he gets going, he is nearly unstoppable. 
He's also done a solid job at the other things. He's averaging five rebounds. He's averaging almost five assists. And his defense has been much better this year. It's still not great, don't get me wrong, but he's at least taken on the challenge. And um, Stacey King, the Bulls, I'm sure when you're listening to the broadcast, I think they talked about one of the potential reasons for that could be, you know, his Olympic experience. And I totally agree. I watched the Olympics. I think that put everything into perspective for Zach, realizing, you know, there's other things I can do when I'm not doing this, even if I'm not having a good offensive value. And I think learning, playing with 12 of the best players in the pl- on the planet really helped him out with that. Two people have to change. Then I got to get off this because everyone's going to think I'm only, I'm not going to only talk about the Bulls, but um, Vucevic, Vucevic, Nikola Vucevic has frustrated me a lot at times, especially on a lot of Bulls fans that felt similar. A lot of Bulls fans wanted him traded. I never went that far just because I know his track record is long enough and successful enough that that's not accurate. But overall in the season, his number, he started playing way better as late. But um, overall in the season, he shoot, he's averaging 18 points, 12 rebounds, four assists, a steal, and a block. Shooting 47% of the field, the 32% from three is concerning, considering that how far we into the season and that he's a career 36% free th- three-point shooter. But the thing that I like that recently is that he's been more willing to play in the post. And he's a very talented post scorer, um, especially when he gets in, especially when he has a mismatch, but also even against bigger guys or stronger guys because he's like deceptively quick for a center. He's not crazy athletic. He's not going to poster you, but he's he has this little dribble move with like his left hand where he just speeds fast. Like he just gets past almost any big man vertically, and then is able to get to the rim. The rebounding has been very key. He's pl- there's the thing is that when he's been engaged defensively, which normally means when he's playing offensive, game, he's he's not a great defender, but he's act. I can honestly at times call him a good defender. He gets active in the passing lanes. He breaks up lobs. He's not going to be blocking. John Morant at the rim, but he can, he'll make the solid plays. He'll do his best guarding the pick and roll. He'll he'll just put a lot of effort in, and he has a seven four wingspan. So he just has so many tools that he can be a solid defender. And he's such a versatile center on the offensive end. And his head stepped up in some really big moments. Lastly, I got to talk about Io Dosumu. I it's, it's crazy because I've you know told my friends to everyone I know who watch basketball. I've raved about this guy forever, but since I haven't been on this, done one of these in. Forever, uh, I haven't been able to talk to it to a larger audience, but yeah, Io's just been amazing, and his raw numbers are you know good, just but good. But th- you have to watch the games thing. I mean, his raw numbers are eight eight points, three rebounds, or two two and a half rebounds, three assists, turn um a low turnover rate. He, he's it's just but you have to watch the games. He has such a high IQ for a rookie. And it's one and one of the greatest rookie intangible packages I've ever seen. Um, so many rookies come into this league and they just want to jack up all the shots, or they just want to you know do the star things, and and they are normally playing you know on dysfunctional teams, especially when you're number one pick. Normally, that's because you're on a team that doesn't have a lot of talent. And Io, and I think that Io being taken in the second round and also just staying in college for three years it sh- shows the bigger importance of how. Because I think even we've seen with some contenders like the Warriors with James Wiseman trying to draft a t- player that's young based on potential, even if you're in a window where you could be winning now. And I think I always proven that case is that if the player is talented, it doesn't matter how old they are as a rookie. If they have skills that are immediately going to translate to the NBA game, which Io had shown in college, he was named as the Bob Cousy Award his junior season, which is the best point guard, college point guard in the country, and had shown great court vision, showed great scoring ability, was a very good college defender, 
all of these things. But he, you know, he obviously fell to the second round to the 38th pick to the Bulls. And I could not be more happy about that, but it's still crazy. He's for sure the steal of the draft. He has had to do so much recently with Lonzo and Caruso out. You're, you, they've had to start a, a second-round rookie in their starting lineup, and they've still been able to win a good amount of games. Io has had a many double-digit assist games, and the thing that's the most outstanding about him and that he's really done best is that he just has an incredible chemistry with Vucevic. He can get Vuce so many easy shots on incredible no-look passes. Just He knows how to get Vuce to his spots in a way that, honestly, no one else on this team does. And it's impressive. And I think the reason that Io has such a... And even when Bradley's in the game, Tony Bradley, they have he has a sense to look for them. And I think the reason that he has this is because of you know the fact he played with a very good college big man or his second best player on his college team was also a big man, Kofi Coburn from Illinois. And I think that's helped him because he really had to learn how to play with a guy who is very talented, but and also not the most athletic. Obviously, Kofi can't shoot like Vucevic can and all those other things, but I think that's why Io is so good at recognizing it. And he just makes great passes in general. He's such an unselfish player, a selfless player as a rookie, and it's just his numbers don't do it justice. He, um, one of my friends kind of compared it to like a potential Jimmy Butler in terms of, you know, having a good college career, just being underdrafted because of blank, blank, and blank, and, you know, potentially becoming a star. And I see it. I do think, though, it's hot. We have to put it in perspective. I don't, I can't say for sure, because a lot of people are saying Iowa is a for sure all-star. I don't want to go there just yet. All, there's so many things that go into being an all-star. You know, you have to score at a pretty high level. You have to also do other things, be in a winning situation. I don't know about that. But I know that Iowa was a first-round talent, and the Bulls got a top 10 player in their class in the second round. Okay, now, since that, after all that ramble, we're going to move into my next biggest surprise, which is the Memphis Grizzlies. And obviously, the Memphis Grizzlies last season did, I think, played above people's expectations. You know, they weren't expected to be... I mean, they, they had made the play-in in the bubble year, and they, everyone knows about John Morant, and they made a great, pl- surprising late playoff run. They beat the Warriors... In that playing round, which obviously surprised a lot of people, and then, you know, took five games of the Utah Jazz. But it's incredible what this team is doing this year it's for so many reasons. First, because of how young they are. They're the, I believe they're still the youngest team in the NBA in terms of age-wise, which thing. And it's also that this team, as, as good as John Morant's been, and he's been playing at a near MVP level, I think so, a little bit, as good as, and I'm a huge job fan, as little bit, his play's been a little bit overblown. And I'm and I'm saying little very kindly there. Jaws played amazing, but he's missed 46 games. He's pl- I mean he's played in only 46 games. He hasn't been there the whole season, and they actually had a better record when he went out, which is something that's incredible to think about. The main reason for this is Desmond Bain, and I think the casual NBA fan kind of knows who he is at this point. But I just need to talk about how talented he is. And he, again, another example of a player staying in college and then being able to translate quickly to the NBA. Desmond Bain. Was uh, played three years at TCU, and you know now with the Grizzlies in the second year, and he's just been playing amazing. He's averaging 18 points per game. He's shooting 46 percent field. He's making almost three points, three three threes a game, and he's shooting 42 percent from them. That's incredible shooting, and he's also shooting 91 percent of the free throw line. He's almost a 50 40 90 guy, and it's not even just that. He's played pretty well all around as well, rebounding. He's done a good job of secondary playmaking, and. He is, despite the fact that he has a tiny wingspan, he, I believe he's a 6'3 wingspan for a, and he's 6'5", he's been a solid defender and just all these other things that they're, it's really been key for them because Dylan Brooks has only played in 21 games and he's really filled in the Dylan Brooks will, 
roll quite well. So it's honestly kind of scary for the rest of the West when Brooks comes back because Brooks is Dylan Brooks is another 18 point per game scorer who, again, is not the shooter that Desmond Bain is, but the d- defense. I think you saw what he did to Steph Curry in that playing game. You've seen recently what he's done. He's a great defender. Another guy we got to talk about is Jaron Jackson Jr. He is someone who does piss me off because I think a lot of times, or at least is. I, when people would always bring up his potential, I would always kind of see it, but I also saw so many flaws in his game, personally. But he's been playing very well this year. His While his, his shooting numbers aren't great, he's only shooting 42% from the field, 32% from three, 80% from the line. He's played in 59 games, he's been available, and defensively, he's been amazing. He's averaging over two blocks a game. His fouls are His foul numbers are still very high, but that's something I think... We've all grown, anyone who's a fan of them has just grown to a custom and that they know they're going to have to accept for him. But he's played very, very well. Steven Adams has been a very good fit, too, just to be a solid big man who can rebound and, you know, get rebounds on both ends, get your occasional bucket, just be a big force. Um, as Although I think Valanciunas is a better player, he, Steven Adams is just a be- better fit because Valanciunas has more of a scoring mindset, which this team doesn't really need because of all the other scores they have. So I really do think that he's played a good role as well, including when he picked up Tony Bradley when Tony Bradley and Ja got in a fight. No, I just think this team is designed so well. And the way they are coached, Taylor Jenkins is a very, very good coach that's not talked about enough. They they just This team plays hard, and they play smart, despite the fact that you know they're a very young team. They're, they don't have an incredibly high turnover rate as a team. Ja Morant has a pretty high turnover rate, but it's understandable. He's a young point guard who also is, has the ball in his hands a lot of time. And thing, but just the way this team is coached, and all the also all the all role players that play well, Kyle Anderson has played very well. Zaire Williams has played very well. Tyus Jones has been a great backup point guard off the bench. Blending, there's so many. This team has so much talent and young talent that that it's scary because this team could get so much better in the next few years. And while and it's weird because it kind of in a way reminds me of I'm not saying they're going to the finals but of the 2020 Heat, and by that I mean there's only one player on that team that you can say is like a for-sure all-NBA player. In this case, John Moran, this kid, Jimmy Butler. But the other players around them just play so well as a team, and the way that they fit, and the way that they're coached, and the way that they fight for each other, it just be- produces a deadly combination. And it's honestly been really fun to watch, and I'm glad for Memphis that Memphis is back. It's not exactly the grit and grind of the old, but it's really fun, been fun to watch. Next... Next team we got to move on to is the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think that this might be the biggest shock to everyone because, you know, all the people that said the Cavs would never win a playoff series or even do anything without LeBron, that's obviously been proven wrong. I mean, this team had some talent in that last year, and I thought it was gonna, they were going to be better, especially because I thought Colin Sexton was going to be playing because I was dumb. I was dumb at that point and thought Colin Sexton contributed could some in some way contribute to winning basketball. Obviously, that's not true, but yeah, but they've just been amazing and. Uh, J.B. Bickerstaff has done a great job, especially considering, you know, not considered as my man is a great coach, not really seen when he was hired that like that was going to move the needle at all. Not like they're like, what does he provide to an NBA team? But the way that he has done things and also his willingness to do stuff outside of the box has been incredible. Um, this team lit is so much based on their defense. They, ha- I believe they're number one in the league in terms of giving up the least points to their opponents. They have so much good rebounding Jarrett they have they start three almost seven footers which has made it really hard for players to, for other teams to score on them in the paint Evan Mobley has been a great rookie he's I mean besides it's me for me it's 
him and Scotty Barnes rookie of the year. I think I would have to give the slight edge to Mobley because of how the role he's playing on such a good team. But there's just been so much good from this Cavs team. Obviously, they had two members of the All-Star team. Darius Garland is one of the most underrated players in the league, and I think we need to talk about it more. As, and it is hard because you, it's exactly where you rank him in point guards because point guard, there's so many good point guards in the league. But he, we have to remember, this guy is 22, and he's playing at Thursday. And he's averaging 20 points and 8 assists per game while shooting 48% of the field, while shooting four, almost 38% from three and making 2.5 per game and shooting 90% from the free throw line. He's just been great. And I think that a lot of people always thought it was going to be the Colin Sexton show, but Darius Garland has just played so, so well. Leading this offense, he's been great at finding his bigs, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. And it, and this is kind of sad for me because this is I didn't I thought that if Markin couldn't play winning basketball in the Bulls, he'd never do it. And I have a lot of American jersey that I'm upset on, but he's and his numbers aren't that good. But you know he's been starting at small forward and it's somehow working. So I can't really knock him if their their team is I believe they're fourth in the East with all of that. Markin has done enough. He's got. I have to say he has gotten better defensively because while because he's while he's slower than a lot of threes, he has the wingspan to keep up, or in front of less explosive threes, he has the wingspan to hold off them and make really tough shots. Still not a good defender by any means, but you know he can stretch the floor in a unique way that a lot of times Evan Mobley is playing the three, but Lauren Merkin's always listed as the three. But this team just has so much size that teams just struggle to score on them. And then a, a, then they made the move for uh, Karis Levert at the deadline. I'm a big Karis Levert fan. He's obviously had a lot of inconsistency throughout his career. And I don't think he's like a suit, a, a all-star or anything, but I don't know. The way he just his slithers and just... The way he gets the rim and slithers and all that kind of stuff just really excites me. I don't know how to explain it. He just plays a very in a very fun, unique way with his style, and he's also a very good player. And I honestly think it, it, he ha- potentially has is the piece that the Cavs would be missing to become a serious contender. I still think it's early to say that you know they're gonna how far they can go yet, just because the the inexperience and because of just the youth and the experience, and because most of these guys, even the players on this team that have been in the league for a while, have very little playoff experience. I do have to say, Kev, I have to give credit to Kevin Love. Kevin Love has been shit on so much in the past few years, even when, before LeBron left, as not being that good of a player. It's always Kevin Love's fault. And while he's not like a star anymore, Kevin Love has played a very good role for this team. He's averaged, uh, he's been basically their sixth man. He's averaged 14 points per game off the bench, shooting almost, he's making two and a half three, shooting 40% from there. He's averaged, Averaging back to to seven rebounds, he's just been playing very good basketball too. And it's just again, I'm really happy for Kevin Love. I think he's a good guy who had to deal with a lot of shit. So the Cavs have just been a great feel good story. I'm gonna go a little bit quicker because I think the Heat. I'm just gonna quickly touch on because I think the only reason I say surprise is when you consider the injuries. They've hate this team has had so many injuries and it's insane that you know they're first in the East. Everyone, if you know me well enough, the Heat are my second favorite team. So. I'm fine with it, but just the 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 amount of games that their stars are missed or important players are missed, and the fact that this thing, but Jimmy Butler's only played in 40 games. Kyle Lowry's only played in 46. Bam's played in only 34. Kyle Hero's played in 46. Um, Max Struess has only played in 47. Caleb Martin's only played in 44. They uh, Oladipo obviously hasn't played yet at all. They've had to use so many players. That the amount of players that are undrafted on this team is incredible, and I just don't know how the Heat do it. 
it's almost like they prefer undrafted players or second rounders because it, and they're able to make them better than you know most teams' first round picks. It's it's honestly just incredible how they do it. Um, like an example of that was Omar Yurtsevin. His on the seasons numbers aren't great. Well, he's like six point six rebounds, but there was a stretch where Bam and Dwayne Dedman were out, and Yurtsevin had, I believe, set a rookie record for most consecutive double doubles. I mean. And this guy was a good player at Georgetown, but no one could have seen that coming, and I don't think any other team he could have done that besides the Heat. The Heat just have this way of doing it. They've had so many players plus games, um, and they've just been doing it as a team uh, because they don't, as much as I love Jimmy, Jimmy Butler's my favorite player, if you don't know, of all time, because it was Bull, just everything. I can go into a tangent about that, but this is already fucking long, and we are still got ways to go, but... um. You know, Jimmy's doing his thing with 22 points per game. Tyler Hero has been having a very good year, although his shooting percentages have gone down as of late, which I, I kind of knew. He's averaging 20 points per game off the bench to lead it. When Bam has played, his offensive numbers have taken a hit in his percentages, but he's the same defensive player of the year caliber player that he's always been. Kyle Lowry has done a great job for this team. He's only scoring 13 points per game, but his, he averages eight assists, and he gives them an element that they didn't have last year. And it's good. Why the Heat, in my opinion, struggled in the playoffs? Because as much as you can say Jimmy played about what you did, it's because they played such a slow style all of the time. And the Kyle Lowry gives them that dynamic where they can push out in transition and sometimes get easy baskets. Because even if you're not doing a lot, just the threat of it makes it harder. And I think that's what we've noticed with teams that only primarily do isolation is that it's really hard to win against very good playoff teams like the Bucks were last year. Um, yeah, I just got to say about the Heat, just all how they've stepped up. Caleb Martin, Max Drews, Gabe Vincent, all of these guys who are undrafted players have played so well. It's just been a fun team to watch. Um, yeah, I don't know how far I think they can go to the playoffs, but this team is scary. And if they get Oladipo back, and Oladipo is even, let's say, tw- 50, 60% what he was, and he's your seventh man, that's a fucking scary team. Okay, we got a cu- um, We just have one more uh, surprise, and we're going to move into some disappointments. But, um, yeah, and uh, this isn't a surprise in the sense that I didn't knew they were going to be good this year. I did. I just don't think... I could have expected Phoenix to be this good. They're forty-eight and ten. They had they went an entire month without losing a game, which I believe was the fifth time that's ever happened. They've just been playing so 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 well, and it's on. And they've just been a fun team to watch. I think this team re- reclaimed so many of their players from last year, and the continuity has really shown. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Aiden, Miles. They have the same starting five from a year ago, and they've all been playing very well. The only exception that might be Jay Crowder, whose shooting numbers are down, but you know what he does on the defensive end. DeAndre Ayton's played very, very well again. Um, his numbers are a bit down from last year, but his percentages are back up. He's shoot, averaging 17 and 10. He's played better defense this year, much better defense. He's been more engaged, and Devin Booker has been... Devin Booker, he's averaging 26, 45% from the field, 37% from three. He's just he's being playing like a superstar, potential superstar. His all-around game still hasn't always been great, but he, he can put up buckets with the best of them. But Chris, Chris and Mikel, sorry, Mikel Bridges has been amazing this year, and his numbers might not show it. I mean, 13.4 points per game isn't that great. He is shooting 53% from the field and 37% from three, but it's his defense, man. This dude is one of the best defenders in the league. Uh, um, in that, in those early games of the season where the Warriors played the Suns, you could just see how much he was able to frustrate Steph Curry. And he just causes so many problems on, against so many matchups because he's long. He has 
I believe a, a, a seven foot wingspan at six six. He is so quick because he doesn't weigh that much, but he's also strong enough and sturdy enough to not get bumped down by a lot of post players. So he just is a defensive Swiss Army knife, and he's been so good. But I do have to again, this, the credit for this team mostly has to go to Chris Ball. He is in his what is it? His sixteenth season now. 17th, but and he's still playing amazing. He's averaging 15 points a game, leading the league in assists at 11. He only turns it over. To, he averages over two, four assists per turnover, which is an incredible rate. He's still playing very good defense from the point guard position. He's been very efficient from the field. Three, he's been okay, but it's just that, like, it's the IQ he's put into this entire team. And that's what I think why Chris Paul needs to get more respect. Is it a legitimate MVP candidate? His numbers aren't there, but, like, he makes this team more confident in themselves and more able to succeed. And it's just, I just think that, you know, it's it sucks because he doesn't have a ring because he is, in terms of, as a complete package at the point guard position, you can put him up there in terms of the talent with anyone that anyone that's ever played this game. Now it's time to now it's time to go to some disappointing notes, at least because while there have been some positive surprises in the league this year, there's definitely been some ones that people, teams, players, and that have been disappointing. The first one I'm going to talk about is the New York Knicks. I'm going to be honest. As much as the I was a, I did see and I felt like you know the Knicks had a good year, I kind of knew that like that level wasn't sustainable, at, at least to me. And I'm not saying that because it didn't happen. I went to the season saying. I know the Knicks are not going to be a top four seed in the East, and they've been way worse than that. I couldn't have expected them to be that. They are currently twenty five and thirty four, twelfth in the Eastern Conference. Uh, they they blew three twenty plus point leads this month, and it's just been really rough for them. Julius Randle has regressed significantly from you know he went All NBA second team last year, which I don't wasn't okay with. Jimmy should have got it, but that's mine. To um, he's only averaging now twenty points. He's averaging 20, 10, and 5, which doesn't seem that bad, but if you look at the shooting percentages, he's 42% from the field, 31% from three. Turning it over three and a half times per game, it just hasn't been the same. He's been okay defensively, but the last year, the thing that really helped him is after being almost a bad defender his entire career last year, he was, I believe, second in the entire NBA defensive win shares. This year, he's just been okay. RJ Barrett, I do have to say, has played very well and has shown a lot of improvement. His numbers aren't his efficiency numbers aren't great. I mean, 41% field, but I mean, the 35% for three you'll take, but he's had some very great games this year. He's played very well overall. I got to give him some credit. Evan Fournier has been so fucking hit or miss this year, man. It's crazy. Evan Fournier is, is basically, I remember I saw the stat, like when Evan Fournier plays the Celtics, he averages like 40 points a game and shoots like 65% from three. And all other teams, he shoots like 32. But because of how well plays the Celtics, his overall three-point percentage is pretty good. 39% from three. He's making three threes a game. He's averaging 15 points. I mean, he has overall has been pretty good. It's just the inconsistency has been difficult for this team that's had a lot of players miss games. Kemba Walker has been, that whole situation has been frustrating. As a fan of Kemba Walker, I felt like Tibbs, while Kemba Walker is not a good defender, I felt like Tibbs excluded him out of that problem by saying he should go to the bench. Kemba Walker isn't the same player he once was, but he's still had moments where he's played very, very well, and he's not the reason himself that this team is not defending well it's everyone it's a collective thing Derek Rose has missed a bunch of time which isn't surprising but I think that's hurt this team he was averaging 12 points a game and he was actually shooting 40 percent from three and I think he just ha- gave us level of confidence and s- swagger to this team that I think they're de- deeply missing so I think that's the biggest problem for why the Knicks you know have been so eh, bad um 
I just think that, you know, Thibodeau has not been willing to adapt. There's just been so much dysfunction in this year. This is like the Knicks of old. It, they got a one-year break from total chaos, and they're back. So there, um, Julius Randle had the thing a couple, a few weeks ago where he, um, the assistant coach showed him something, and he slapped his computer, which was completely unexcusable. I'm not going to ever try to defend that. That was thing and some people I was when I was checking this out like associate or commenting you know well what does that coach have to say in regards to that I mean he's an NBA says just because he's not your head coach doesn't mean he can't show you if he's showing you something a video of what you did wrong and you're not willing to look at it that's not taking ownership we heard a lot about last year about Julius Randle being this great leader teammate and thing and we have not seen it this year so we have to really question what that is and the Knicks are in a really weird place because they kind of they still have some young talent, but they also have some players that they got because they were trying to buy in for making, you know, making it to the second round of the playoffs or further. So they're in a tough position and it's really it's sad because as much as I it is fun to make fun of the Knicks, they do play in one of the most historic arenas in the world, the Madison Square Garden. It is fun. It is an electric place. It is so fun to see when the Knicks are good, but you know, they got a lot of stuff to figure it out. The next disappointment is one that I'm personally totally okay with, if you know my thing. It is the Los Angeles Lakers. I do have to say that the Lakers, part of their, I can give them a tiny bit of their excuse, is that they've had injuries as bad as anyone in the league. But even when they've been fully healthy, they've just not been good. They're currently 27-31. They're ninth in the West, so they'd be in the play-in. But they have three top 75 player, greatest players ever. And with a team like that, that's unexcusable, regardless of how many plays. Considering that LeBron has played in 40, only 41 games, AD still played in 37, Russ has played in almost all of them, but just this entire team, their problem has been the defense. They're somehow ranked only as the 15th worst. They're only, oh yeah, never mind. In 26th, they're 26th in the league in um, opponents' points per game. They've just, after last year, they were number one. And this team just made so many front office m- failures obviously Russell Westbrook is and I and I am someone who likes shitting on Russell Westbrook as much as anyone but I do have to say these problems are outside of just Russ um the team does not defend they do not shoot the three at a high level as a whole they really can't make free throws and they again they don't defend and and part of it is because is is it fair because part the thing is is much is that this the players on this team haven't been asked to defend mostly. When has Malik Monk been asked to defend? When has Carmelo Anthony asked to been asked to defend? When has when has Russell Westbrook ever been asked to defend? Never. And that's the thing is that Russell, you're putting players. You're expect you. They came into the season expecting players to do things they have never done before. And expecting to just win with stars, well, we're, and they got rid of almost all their glue guys from that 2020 championship team. And you've seen whether whatever team they they're on, respective teams, they've played well. And they've been sorely missed. Alex Caruso, I could talk thing. We talked about how important he is the Bulls, how important he'd be on this team with his defensive presence, just his IQ. We know how much LeBron respects Alex Caruso. Excuse me for that. <laughs> Uh, Anthony Davis has just been so injury prone as always, and even when he's played, while he's still average, while his numbers for most NBA players are amazing, twenty three points, ten rebounds, two and a half, almost two and a half blocks a game, playing very good defense. He's only shooting fifty four percent of the field, and he's shooting eighteen percent from three. He and I believe I saw this stat earlier. He had one. He was having one of the worst volume jump shooting seasons in the history of basketball. Russell Westbrook has just been a clusterfuck. Um. 
it's so it's hard for me because I do expect respect how hard he plays on the offensive end. I'm tired of people saying that he plays hard on every position. He plays on hard on every possession where he can score. He does not play hard on the defensive end. He does not try to defend. He has no idea how to defend. He is one of the worst defensive IQs I have ever seen. Whether it's in that that Christmas Day game versus the Nets where he left Patty Mills open five thousand times, or in that game versus the Clippers on TNT where all he would have to do was if he had not left, Reggie Jackson would not have had that open lane for the game winner. His so that's all that his turnovers are so high. He's averaging four turnovers a game while not even be, having the highest usage rate of his career. He's shooting forty percent field, forty four percent from the field. 29% from three, 67% from the free throw line. The rebounds are there and stuff, but just... And it's not even just those numbers. If you watch the games, his turnovers are so terrible. Um, I watch Undisputed a lot, and, and as much as Skip Bayless is wrong about so many things, the turnovers Russell Westbrook has are high school turnovers that you would get benched, taken out of the game, and held accountable for. But he's never been held accountable. And he's not willing to now. So that's the problem. I do think that um, Austin Reeves has been a bright spot for them. I think they're trying; people are trying to make him out to be the next career. So, and while I do, he is a solid. He does have some similarities, being like around the same size, undrafted rookie, and he has hit some big shots for them. He just doesn't offensively. He might be better, but he just does not have the same level of defense that Alex Caruso does. And also, this the winners and Tannibals. Could he get there? Maybe, but Austin Reeves, obviously, being your second best defender, isn't good enough. I do have to say is while LeBron's numbers are amazing and I'm not going to say that I expect him to defend well at this age, like part of this is on him. We all know that he's the one that wanted Russell Westbrook or anything that gets done with this Lakers team goes to LeBron first. They could have had Buddy Heal. They could have had DeMar DeRozan. These are all the stories I've talked about a lot and I'm not going to fully dive into those for lack of time and also just because if you're a person following basketball, you've heard it before, but it's just like, you know, it's hard and I do understand LeBron's frustration. I just don't understand why he wanted Russell Westbrook in the first place. Russell Westbrook is, in theory, is everything LeBron isn't. He, uh, LeBron James has maybe the highest basketball IQ ever. Russell Westbrook has one of the lowest basketball IQs I've ever seen from a star point guard. Or from a star player. He turns the ball over. He doesn't know his weaknesses. Or if he does, he doesn't care and does them anyway. He just doesn't... He just plays out of control always. And it's just the thing. The next team I'm going to talk about for disappointment is the Hawks. I mean, and again, there's, they have been starting to play better as of late, but I think, you know, especially considering, you know, they thought a full season of Nate McMillan after they made the Eastern Conference Finals last year, which was partially because of the luck thing, you thought that, you know, there was a chance that they'd be contenders at least half, or at least would be, you know, not having to fight for the play-in. I don't think most people, I, I expected them to be around the five, six, seven range. They've really struggled. And again, it's been the defense. They have the Second-best offensive rating in the entire NBA, but they have the second-worst defensive rating, or third-worst defensive rating. And that was the question for me. I knew that they were going to be able to score, and I just didn't think their defense— I just didn't think that their defense from last year in the postseason was going to be sustainable. There's just not enough good defenders on this team, um, especially now that Cam Rash has been traded. But um, Trey Young, I do have to say, has played amazing. He's averaging 28 points per game. He shoot and nine assists. Turnovers are high, yes, but his— Shooting percentages are pretty good this year. 46% of the field is a career high. He's shooting 38% from three and making three a game. Not he's not anything. He's he's been great in the fourth quarter. So he's just he's had to do a lot with his team because he's the only primary thing, primary scorer, and just he's played very, very well. I do have to say that. But um a lot of these other players on this team have been a disappointment. 
John Collins has played okay, but I kind of think, especially you know, after you know he was wor- upset about not getting the max, I thought he was gonna play with a little more passion to that. And he's kind of, his numbers have gone down. He's averaging sixteen and eight, which is okay, but and he's still a number overall. Goodney has thing. It's just I don't feel the same kind of impact from him. I don't think he's been fully bought in. Bogdanovich has struggled at times to shoot on the season. He's shooting thirty eight percent from three, but the forty three percent from the field isn't great. Kevin Herter's been pretty good at times, but overall, again, these, it's not that anyone's been specifically bad. There's just been a, a number of players slightly underachieving, but like when that's you have a no, when the, that starts to pile up and make it difficult, and just that you know the East has been so competitive this year with so many solid and caliber teams, it's just been tough. Um, I Clint Capella for me is the reason is the biggest scapegoat in this situation. His scoring is down only 11 points per game. He's still getting you the 12 rebounds, and he's still getting you a block, but he just hasn't been the same defensively. Last year, he had a legitimate all-defensive case. He didn't make a team, but he really did have an all-legitimate all-defensive team case, and he just hasn't been the same this year. He He's just struggled in the pick-and-roll. He struggled against other bigs. He struggled in general defensively. Just hasn't. He's only shot 47% from the free-throw line. It's just he hasn't been good, and for a team that doesn't have a bunch of good defenders, they need. He was so important in how their defense played in that last season's playoffs, and him not doing that is really hurting this team. I do still think though that this team they've been playing better of late, and I still think for sure they're going to be a playoff team. But just I don't, I can't see them getting to the conference finals until they play better defense. It's kind, they're kind of in a sense the Portland of the East, or what Portland was these last few years, and. Um, yeah, and uh, my la- I have two more disappointments. Actually, I'm gonna think of one. One disappointment I'm gonna have is the Portland Trailblazers as a contender because it is same to see. CJ McCollum's obviously been traded. Dame is probably on his way out, and just it's sad because it's a loss for small market teams. And while we did have a win for small market teams last season with the Bucks winning the title, as someone who does enjoy small market teams, despite being from a big uh, city, it's a shame because Portland. Dame was something special, and Portland, Dame and CJ were fun bro- pairing to watch. They were a fun thing, and Dame's been hurt. CJ's been out, and just the coaching changes didn't work. The Blazers front office just didn't do enough good enough job getting players around them, and part of the responsibility could fall on the duo. But you know, it's just been a shame because Portland was fun to watch the playoffs. They have an electric fan base in the arena at the Moda Center. And yeah, Anthony Simons is going to be a future is a future star who's been playing so well, and I'm not going to try to take anything away from that. And he's been a breakout player, but it's just it is a shame as a basketball fan and someone who appreciates Dame and knows who he was. And even though I didn't fully expect or love that he was an all all 75 team, I did believe that he has a case, and it's not like a disgrace to put him there. But yeah, man, it's just been tough for everyone on this Hawks team, and I'm wondering. It's hard for me to figure out if. You know, where do they go? Now I'm going to quickly, because we're already at 43 minutes, I'm just going to quickly dive into closing and talk about who I think my picks are for the final thing. And I and some of this involves speculation, obviously, because I do not know. And I'm making this some, based on assumptions and past history, but I also think that some of these takes a thing. Who I think is going to win MVP at the end of the year, I just don't see Embiid doing it. I as much as I he's been um, outstanding this year, he's played better than Jokic. He's been this. He's played so well. He's just he's been incredible that that Philly team is even as close to the top of the standings as these as they are. I just think the combination of either Harden taking down his numbers or, or um 
him getting hurt is going to happen. I don't want it to happen. I'm just, I just always get that sense with him. As much as I love DeMar DeRozan, he is an MVP case. They're not going to give it to him par- partially because he's not an all- enough of an all-around player and also partially because just his, he just isn't. I think that he's going to make first team. I think he has a real case to make first team All-NBA and he for sure should at least make the second team. But, you know, that's a difficult one. In theory, you would think someone from the Suns might, Chris Paul and Booker, but neither of them played at an MVP level for their own reasons. Luka has been playing really great as of late, but I still think that the voters are just not going to do it. I don't think that Mount Dallas can get close enough to the top of the standings. For me, I think I think it's going to be Giannis. He's going to win their MVP. He's been playing his, and I think we become prisoners of the moment with Giannis. He's so good every year that we just, it's a LeBron thing. We've grown accustomed to it. We've grown accustomed to 28, 13, and 6 while playing Potentially the best defense in the NBA is normal because Giannis does it every fucking year. But I don't think we should use that to take away from Giannis. And the Bucks have been playing better as of late. And if the Bucks finish top three, especially considering they've had injuries themselves, Middleton, Holiday have missed a decent amount of time. They haven't had Brooke Lopez since the first half of the first game of the year. It's just been... I think Giannis right, will make a case. As much as I Jokic's statistical anomaly is thing... I just don't know if he can keep up with this Nuggets team. If he, if let's say, if you know, if the Nuggets finish top five, I'm giving it to Jokic again. I don't, I don't care. How his game's not appealing. His numbers are off the charts, but I just don't know if that's possible considering how tough the West is. But yeah, so that's my MVP. I think for Defensive Player of the Year, I got to go with Giannis as well. I again, I'm saying there's a lot of things that could happen with this, but I just think that as much as Rudy Gobert is a great defender of the paint. I just think we have to also realize that, and I know it's a regular season war, but we have to realize that Rudy Gobert is an exceptional defender in one area. And that his his expertise, he is so good at it. He's an all-time great rim protector. Even though that sounds crazy to say, considering some of the greatest rim protecting bigs we've had in our league, he is one of them. But the perimeter defense is a problem, and Giannis is someone who can guard anybody and anywhere. He's just so flu- fluid defensively. He doesn't get as many steals as blocks as you would think, and he's his numbers don't is like his defense doesn't always have a chart. But he is in the he's like if Draymond Green was six eleven. I think that's the best way. He has the defensive IQ of that. He has the length. He has the wingspan. He can switch one through five. He competes so hard on that end. I just think it's gonna be. For Rookie of the Year, I'm going to give it to Evan Mobley. I don't know if he will because I think his scoring might go down and other players might make a case, but for me, it's going to be Evan Mobley. In my opinion, he should be. He's been so good. He's been the third best player on this Cavs team that's, you know, a top four seed in the East. He is similar to the Giannis in the fact that he's a 6'10 guy who could guard one through five. His offense has been inconsistent at times, especially the long-range shooting, but he has so much talent. He's played so well. He's... You know, I, one word personally for me, him calling, coming out of college was, how is he going to handle, you know, being skinny and stuff? But he, and he still doesn't look like he's built, but the guy is built, and he's been able to handle the tougher fours and stronger and some of the fives in the league. So it's been very impressive for me. So that's going to be my defensive player of the year. I mean, excuse me, my rookie of the year. Um, my sixth man of the year, I'm going to give it to Tyler Hero. Tyler Hero leads the NBA in off-the-bench scoring, and while he has played a lot of games well, he has started a decent amount of games. I believe that he's still well under the amount that you can do and win, that you can play and still be in contention for six man of the year. He's helped. He's been Miami's most consistent player in terms of being able to play the most and also play well. Um, 
Yeah, I'm going to check that number. He's only started in 10 games, never mind. Yeah, so he's definitely has, I think he's thing. He's been electric in the fourth quarter. He's actually surprisingly Miami's leading scorer in the fourth quarter, not Jimmy. And he's just a bucket. I mean, is he still is he a, still a very bad defender and all those other things? Yes, but the sixth man of the ward doesn't normally require that. Normally, if you are the best uh, the best scorer off the bench on a good team, you're win it. It's like Jordan Clarkson last year. Um, but no, he's been very very good, and yeah, it's just thing. The coach of the year one is tough for me because it depends on. Thing. I feel like the coach of the year a lot of times is a coach that defies expectations or makes it far with a group that thing, and not just the coach the thing, because you can really easily make a case for Monty Williams. I'm not going to deny that, but the Suns, you know, the Suns have like people thought the Suns could be good, but they couldn't be the guests good. So do we elevate for coach that, or do we do someone like Billy Donovan or Taylor Jenkins or someone that has gotten a team to way higher place than almost anyone could have expected? I think that's the tough part for me. If I if I'm forced to choose here. I'm going to give it to Taylor Jenkins personally just because of the job he's done. The Grizzlies are a legit contender despite John Morant missing so much, a decent amount of time and just the way they play. and just You can tell that they're a well-coached group and that they believe in their coach. And I think that's something that we have to pay. There are so many other people that I really considered. Like Eric Spolstra has such a good case because they're number one in the East and all this. But I just think that... I want to give it to an underdog coach here who hasn't got talked about nearly enough, and that's Taylor Jenkins. And I most improved is tough too, because a lot of players have improved, um, but a lot of not a lot of players have improved from like because Anthony Simons has a real case for most improved, even though he's not normally most improved means you're at almost an All Star caliber level, like that's something that's taken into account, and he hasn't. There's not really anyone who. Even though there's been a lot of forced first-time All-Stars, like DeJounte Murray, Fred Van Vliet, like their numbers haven't been so much better in the past that it's hard. I guess if I have to pick one, I would maybe say DeJounte just because his numbers have been good. It's hard with the most improved because the categories for it aren't always clear, unlike some of these other awards and thing. But um, I think that's going to do it. I'm already at 50 minutes. That's crazy. I didn't feel like I was talking for the rest of long. But um, thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm really excited to be doing stuff in the future. Um, we're going to be having a college basketball segment soon because March Madness is coming up. That's going to be fun. I haven't touched on college basketball nearly enough. I'm going to try to have some more interviews coming in soon with some cool people. But, yeah, man, I'm just really glad to be back. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. I'll see you all next time.